Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike, and thank you for joining me for this episode of Amateur All Tours. You can follow the show on Twitter at All Tours Pod, and you can email us with any questions, comments, or concerns at the Amateur All Tours Podcast at gmail.com. Everyone, uh, before we begin this episode, I just want to give a big welcome back to a podcaster that uh, I haven't talked to in a while, and I'm very excited for our conversation today. Everyone, please welcome back Dana Buckler from the Dana Buckler Show. Dana, welcome back, man. It's it's so great to be talking to you again, man. I've, I've been looking forward to this episode for a little while now. Well, Mike, thank you. Thank you. First of all, thank you for having me on the show. It has been a while. Like if I start, I mean, we're, we're, we're in September of 2022 right now. I think the last time that you and I recorded, we may go back to 2019 or possibly 2020. So it's been two to three years. Like it, I was telling you just before we started recording that, you know, I, I come to the realization that I'm uh, nine years into doing my podcast. And some of those episodes just to me, they just blend together. I had uh, I had Jim Hempel on the show the other day. And, you know, in my mind, we had done a podcast two months prior. It had been a year and two months. So, like, uh, you know, time doesn't seem to exist for me inside the podcasting realm. But it's so awesome to talk to you again. And thank you for having me on the show. Oh, yeah, of course. And yeah, you said, you know, nine years. I remember doing a little um little note for your five years i think um and you know that was you know i remember i was still like living with my parents at that time and i think the last conversation we recorded together was uh was it the the last skywalker or whatever the most most recent star wars movie was that i haven't seen since the movie theater it was you me and mike scott and uh and yeah i look back you know with really any episode that i've done uh a collaboration with a fellow podcaster. I mean, I love the pod. I love doing the podcast. Um, every episode is always special to me um, because it's just a fun hobby that I like to do. But that I, I'm always grateful for every single person I've been able to collaborate with in the last. You know, I guess I've been doing this for six years. I guess seven years. I don't know. Like not too far behind you, but you know, just I remember starting in when I was a sophomore in college with. Brian in our parents, uh, they used to have a camper and we used to in, in Maryland and we used to just go in this camper. It'd be hot as hell because there was no AC in this, but we would just sit, be sweating bullets talking about movies. And, you know, Brian is, uh, you know, life is, is got is, has been going on and he's been doing his own stuff, but, uh, every now and again, we have him on, but I always love coming back to the podcast, talking about movies and especially like where we are in 2022. I, have been really, I think my film repertoire has grown a little bit since we've last talked. Uh, I'm a little bit more, I feel like I'm a little bit more confident as a podcaster talking off the cuff and just my film knowledge has been has been growing, you know, every day, week, year. So um, yeah, I'm just, I'm very excited to have the movie we're going to be talking about today is Miracle Mile. And this is a film that I feel like, Dana, you'll probably hear this a lot that if anyone talks about this movie with you, I would venture to say that 95 percent of people would say i got this recommendation from you dana on uh on the segment 20th century movie club not sure which one was one of the i mean it was one of the early ones 
And uh, I actually tried going back and looking at it. Uh, Mike Scott, he, I mean, he sent me a document, so I probably could have used that. But uh, I just remember hearing you guys talk about tw- on the 20th Century Movie Club, which for anyone not listening or anyone who is not familiar with the Dana Buckler show or 20th Century Movie Club, first off, I highly recommend you guys go over and, you know, listen to his you know, nine years worth of podcasting episodes. Um, but the 20th Century Movie Club was, uh, you know, uh, yourself and a guest would normally recommend uh, one movie or three movies each. So six movies all together. And the film, the only criteria for the most part was the film had to be uh, made 1999 below. Sometimes you guys have uh, like theme episodes. And but I just remember the one was Miracle Mile and you were giving this such a raving review. Remember you gave the brief synopsis, didn't go into spoilers. And I remember looking up the trailer and thinking, wow, that actually looks really awesome. Like, I don't know what to make of this. And you actually also had the director on your show. And when I remember when that episode released, I started listening to it and said, no, I haven't seen the movie yet. Don't have the context. And I think I just flat out just bought the movie on uh, on DVD, just blind faith, go for it. And I remember watching it for the first time being like, wow, this is something that I need to talk with Dana about. Um, it took me a little while to be like, oh, yeah, make, make, connect the pieces together and finally throw the invitation out there. And you've uh, just uh, you've helped me out and agreed to come on so we can talk about Miracle Mile. But so before we get into the movie, Dana, what? What is your history? Reiterate your history with this film again, because it seemed like from your episodes that this is like the ultimate, like tip of your tongue movie that you've had on your brain for years and you finally figured out what it was. And, and what was the journey of, you know, finding the movie, reaching out to the director, having him on your show and then up to where we are now? Well, sure. Now, that would take um, that would take a, a long time to go through the entire journey. So I'll try to give the, the cliff notes version, if you will. You know, uh, Mike, I can't honestly remember the first time or I can't honestly remember what year it was when I saw the movie, but I do recall the first time seeing it. And this is probably, let's see, it's 2022 right now. So this is easily 25, 26 years ago. And I caught the last 45 minutes of the film. It was on, a, you know, HBO, Showtime, Cinemax, one, one random afternoon. And really didn't have much context for what the movie was about because I, you know, I'm just, it just back then you flipped through channels and whatever was on, that's what you were watching. There was no way to just start it over again. What a different world we live in now. But uh, I remember kind of watching it and then, you know, doing my best to track it down. And it took a little while because, you know, this, this movie, as I'm sure we'll talk about at some point, you know, it, it went through quite a journey just to get in front of people. I mean, this uh, this film, you know, famously didn't do anything theatrically as far as box office is concerned. And this was a time when, you know, you know, movies for sale wasn't even a thing in 88. You know, people forget like movie, the- like, like to purchase a movie in 1988, 89, when this movie came out, they cost more than $100 back then. It was only around 1989, 90, 91 that Disney started selling movies at like, you know, $25 or $30 for VHS. Anyway, I'm going all over the place. Um, but I eventually did track down a, a copy of this film and watched it from the beginning. And I am someone who is 
you know, and again, I want to be hesitant because I don't want to spoil the movie for those. Or, or are we just doing full on spoilers? Yeah, yeah, movie? we're going to go full on spoilers because okay. I don't think that I can have the an adequate discussion without going to spoilers. But sure. I mean, we could. Well, yeah, we'll just we'll just say right now, spoilers in the movie, please. Like, go watch the stop this episode if you haven't seen it. Go watch the movie. You can rent it on Amazon yeah, uh, Apple for like four bucks. Um, it's like, you know, available anywhere. Like, please go watch the movie. And I would even say, um, don't watch the trailer. Just yeah. go in as blind as you can. Um, cause I mean, we'll get into it. I think the trailer kind of gives away a little too much in the movie. Um, and I feel like that kind of, uh, because the movie works best in kind of in the same way as like the thing and like it's more about like the paranoia and like the slow build up the chaos and tension whereas the trailer kind of goes a little shows its hand a little too much um so I, i'll say now if you haven't seen the movie please stop go watch the movie and then come back listen to our conversation um because i feel like going in as this is one of those movies going in as blind as possible will enhance your uh, experience of the movie the thing about the thing about the movie that really kind of spoke to me is, you know, I'm old enough to remember, you know, not fully understand, but uh, remember the Cold War and the tension and the belief that at any moment nuclear annihilation could befall us. And there were several movies in the 70s and especially in the 80s that dealt with this subject matter, one being The Day After. Uh, the other one being threads, which uh, I know we've, we've that's been discussed on my podcast before, which are all very interesting looks, realistic looks of what would happen. Um, so I've always been I don't even want to use, use the word fascinated, but I've always been uh, aware that this is a, a reality that could befall, could befall all of us at some point. And, you know, the in the 1980s, that was a real real thought like that was people genuinely believe that that could still happen at any time now events over the past six months to a year have you know sort of ratcheted that thinking up again and uh, i don't want to get into a whole discussion about that but the thing about this movie is for me it was what if you're the only person that knew this was going to happen and what if you're just nuts and you're just crazy. And the phone call that you received wasn't real. And you, you, you said it perfectly when you said, you know, this movie is amazing at ratcheting up the tension and building the tension. And if you go into it as cold as possible and not knowing the spoilers, see, when I saw the movie, Mike, he had already taken the phone call the first mm -hmm. time I saw it. So I'm thinking to, in my mind, uh, so everybody knows this is going to happen. So so when it does ultimately happen, I, you know, I was just like, wow, that's incredible. But watching it from start to finish, I think it's just an incredibly terrifying movie. And it's 90 minutes long. Yeah. It, and that's the most, I mean, that's the perfect length. You want to talk about a film that has, you know, six, seven minutes of setup and then just takes off and never stops. Like, yeah. it's just absolutely incredible. So this movie was one of those go-to recommendations for me. It was still, even in the 2000s, still incredibly hard to find. So, you know, people would always say, what's a really good movie you can recommend? Well, I'm like, well, if you can find it, there's this little hidden gem that came out in the late 80s called Miracle Mile, and you've got to check this out. And I would never really tell anybody what it was about, what it was about other than saying something to the effect of, you know, he gets a phone call, 
you know, might be bullshit, might not be, well, you know, remains to be seen, but I don't want to say anything more than that. And I, and, and even last night I was out having a drink with a couple friends and I was chatting with a young lady and she said, well, you, what are your plans tomorrow? And I said, I'm going on a podcast to talk about Miracle Mile. And she was like in her early thirties. And she said, what's Miracle Mile? And I said, oh, put my hand over. Oh, <laughs> let me, let me, let me tell you real quick. And I, but I, again, would not spoil it. I was just like, here's the deal. Okay. These two meet, they have a perfect day together. They make plans to hang out later in the evening through no fault of his own. His alarm clock doesn't go off. He misses the date, ends up taking a phone call that potentially nuclear Armageddon's happening. Could be real, could, could not be. That's the whole point of the movie. And that's all I would say. And she was just like, I'm watching it tonight. So, um, so <clears throat> one of the things when I started the podcast in 2013, one of the things that I, uh, one of the benefits that I don't think I realized when I started the podcast was the connections that I was going to start to make, not just in the podcasting community, but when you're doing a podcast about movies in the film industry, inevitably people are going to start to reach out to you. Jim Hemphill, Phil Giovanno. And it was around 2019 or 2018 when uh, the director, Steve DeJarnett, you know, popped up in my Facebook, you know, people you may know suggestions. And I was like, well, that's super bizarre. But I, <clears throat> excuse me. So I, I sent him a friend request and he accepted the request. And immediately I sent him a message on Facebook and I was like, hey, Steve, you just want to let you know, huge fan of Miracle Mile. I mean, it's your masterpiece, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, just, you know, probably laying it on a little thicker than I should have, but I was just really wanted this guy to know how it felt. I think it took him three or four days to actually read the message. And then when he finally read the message, he was just like, oh, my God, thank you so much. And I just said, you know, I'm doing this podcast. I'd love to have you come on sometime. He's like, let's do it. And then didn't talk for like a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then it was like uh, after I had uh, Peter Fascinelli and John Travolta on the podcast in late 2019, I was like, who else can I talk to? And I just I think, like, oh, yeah, I got to reach out to Steve. Again, and then I set it up and then he was so gracious. And I want to tell you, uh, and I invite people to listen to that episode, the nicest guy in the world. And, and you know, his, his career, he's always kind of worked in the industry and he's a hell of a, an amazing writer. Um, but his, his career as a director didn't really move much past Miracle Mile, which I think is a shame because. Uh, as you know, we're going to discuss, this is, this is an absolute eighties masterpiece, but he was super humble, super nice. And, you know, to my surprise, I found out that he actually wrote the script for one of my favorite cult movies of the early eighties, strange brew, which mm -hmm. I'm from Canada. Okay. And Bob and Doug McKenzie's are, are folk heroes where I'm from. So anyway, I digress. So, you know, it's just, this has been a movie that's just always been incredibly special to me and getting the opportunity to a, talk to Steve about it and, and B recommend it very early on in the 20th century movie club. And I remember recommending it to Mike who hadn't seen it. And, you know, Mike and I, I love him to death. Him and I, our, our tastes tend to skew a little differently when it comes to certain movies. And I was so hopeful that he was going to get back to me and, and say, I loved it, you know, but Mike famously will tell me sometimes, Hey dude, you know, I just didn't get it the way you did. He was, he would never, you know, Mike's never mean about it. And oh, he, yeah. he'll, all, he'll always just say, I, I just didn't get it. And when he said, amazing, I loved it. I was just like, yes, yes. <laughs> all right. I've done my job. Miracle Mile has done its job. So 
Uh, flip it back to you just for a second. Take me through the first experience watching the movie. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, man. Yeah. So, I, like I said, I and and again, like touching on your episode, um, I, I I recommend that to the viewers just because I think, I guess, from a like a historian or film historian or just like looking at the perspective of the history of this movie because yeah there is maybe this is a how is this movie i know you're uh, you're writing some of those episodes and coming back to it um and for those of you who aren't aware you know dana first started his podcast with uh, how is this movie and it was like a breakdown uh like a his like a historical viewpoint of these popular movies and this episode it kind of brought me back to like almost OG, uh, more informal. Uh, how is this movie? Because there was so much history with this movie. You know, I loved the the mo- like just listening to Steve uh, talk about this, where you know he was saying you know uh, Nicholas Cage was originally supposed to star, and like the whole history of you know why you know and, you know I I just I listened to the episode the other night where uh, you know he was Nick Cage was like oh just tell him I'm bluffing, tell him I'm bluffing. He's like oh well, you bluff too hard, and now uh, Anthony Edwards was cast a star and i think was it variety that wrote a subject of like this was one of the um the screenplay like most important screenplays that never got made or something like that and then you know the executives wanting the wanting the rights to it and they were going to buy the script for like what four hundred thousand dollars or something and he turned it away because he wanted to direct as well and they were going to change his vision which is awesome and uh, just listening to steve talk about this and him uh, you know, kind of, I think he even admitted that he's like, yeah, you know, I wasn't mean about it, but I just was known as a guy that wouldn't play ball and I wouldn't compromise my, my vision. And that was really interesting hearing that perspective of it. And I think it, it if anything, it, it made me appreciate the movie even more, uh, especially from going from like the slow burn in the beginning to just like slowly, slowly turning up the heat with the tension and like you're questioning the reality of the film. And then like, you know, the ending when, you know, shit hits the fan, uh, in like every sense of the word. And yeah, so the first time I had seen this movie, um, again, was, you know, I just bought it on DVD, just on full, you know, blind faith that this was going to be as good as I thought. Um, I did watch the trailer, which I, again, recommend that people don't do because it does show its hand in the ending in that, well, I took it as, it's not so much of like, oh, he created this like pandemonium. It's like, oh, it's happening. Like why, like, you know, like I, I wouldn't think that one man could cause this much dis- uh, destruction, at least one average Joe could do this. So I, when I saw the ending of him, you know, on the truck looking in the L.A., you know, on Miracle Mile with all the destruction, people like cars exploding, um, like amazing set piece. I was like, oh, it's happening. So I never took that as, oh, he accidentally created this like false panic. I took it as, oh, yeah, like it happens. But um, so the first time I watched it, I remember because, again, I didn't really I like knew there was a love story, but like not really. I didn't know that was like the center focus of it. I remember thinking the beginning, I'm like, okay, like this isn't how I thought this movie was going to start. You know, we're at, you know, the, you know, an LA museum of like some prehistoric, um, you know, uh, 
prehistoric history dinosaur fossil museum and you know he's flirting with you know he's like throwing eyes at this girl uh saying he's you know he's never met anyone that's he's really worth caring about and uh you know he's wants to hit on this girl but it, like eventually like she kind of makes the first move and he's a trombonist I'm like oh wait where is this going like where does the nuclear apocalypse fit into this movie <laughs> um but yeah like you said it 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 has you know that like 20 minutes of setup and then you know we get to the phone call but i remember thinking this beginning part i'm like okay like we're like they're really going heavy into this love story uh where is the phone call gonna happen when's the because that's like the centerpiece of the trailer it's you know it's you know orion or whoever you know produced the film or distributed the film like all the logos coming up and it's just a um at least if I remember correctly, then it's just a phone ringing, phone ringing, answers the phone and it just cuts to uh, him on the phone. Like, is this some kind of joke? Like, oh, the, the, we're, we're locked in, they're coming and, you know, we have, you know, the highlights in the trailer. So I'm like, oh, when are we getting to this point? So I remember thinking like, this is going to happen soon, but I think it's perfect. I mean, I mean, it sets up, you know, the whole thing is, you know, the like the cyclical nature of the, of the film. Like we end where we begin uh, more in a literal sense in the end yeah. of the movie talking about, you know, you know, it's great in the beginning, you know, he makes the joke to the kids on the field trip, like, Oh, you know, better brush your teeth. Cause you'll, you, you might end up like them one day. It's like, Oh, the irony, that's like all what they talk about in the end, you know, dust to dust. And, um, and I remember I'm like, oh, that's Goose from Top Gun. Like, that's interesting. And uh, you know, just picking up on slowly and slowly. And I uh, and I will say, and after rewatching the movie too, I, for some reason, I just, there's something about the eight, like late 80s through the mid 90s filmmaking that I absolutely love. Like, I think it's more the aesthetic and, and more just like, how the films were made and the subject matters they're talking about maybe it's like the grainy film atmosphere aesthetic that i just love um at the time of this recording i've been starting to binge watch the x-files and there's something about watching um that grainy aesthetic and storytelling that i'm like oh this is great it reminds me of you know like tommy boy too like it's just, just something about late 80s through the mid nineties that there's just something about the filmmaking that really captures my attention. So immediately I'm just like really into this and then you get the phone call and then I just love the use of uh, like the filmmaking techniques at this point where there's a lot more slow zoom ins, um, building tension, like the soundtrack is, you know, you get a lot more like thumping synth synth synths that are just, you know, it's kind of like reminiscent of Terminator where it's just slow, like there, there's a change. The music is telling you there's a change and then paired with the acting and, and just like the, the frenetic pacing of, of the, uh, of the story at this point. And then, you know, we're getting a lot more, uh, you know, um, steady cam shots so following them throughout like and it's you know a lot more camera movement at this point and it it's it's almost like a deliberate change in the filmmaking and the story that you're like you're sucked in and then the film goes from this love story to a countdown one hour countdown and i believe the film more or less goes in quote unquote real time once this phone call gets the phone call we have 50 minutes i guess oh it'll be an hour 10 minutes uh in your time in la i'm in north dakota you know you have an hour, uh, and and I love the premise of you know he it's this missile silo soldier call he's trying to call his father uh, that lives in Red Bank and he has the wrong area code and just some random guy answers the phone 
and and I just and I love the the acting at that point um, where you can't even see the guy. It almost reminds me of uh, a phone booth with uh, Colin Farrell, where you can't see the guy on the other end, but you can just tell that he is panicked that you know the end of the world is coming. And it's interesting. And that's I don't know. I don't want to say that this is a necessarily a detriment to the movie. I just. I never, and maybe this is more the trailer influencing me. It's like I never thought that this was just like hysteria. And, you know, the film in the in the writing, they try and throw in there like, "Oh, is this actually happening? Is this a prank? Is that just some crazy asshole that's on the phone?" I never once t- thought that this was a joke. Like I, I was like um, a Harry, the Harry character, uh, Anthony Edwards character of like, "This is happening." Like, I never once thought that this wasn't going to happen. Uh, so I would say, as maybe as a critique, maybe like lay into the, is this actually happening? And, and I actually kind of like listening to your, sto- uh, your episode again um, with Steve in that I, I, the original script is that Harry was older. It wasn't so much a love story. It was, you know, a, a drifter coming back into town after leaving for like 20 years. And I was like, oh, that may have been, to me that I, I think that may have worked a little bit better than a love story. Um, and I think listening to like uh, um, Siskel and Ebert talk about it. Uh, I think it was Ebert loved the movie and praised it for just like bleakness. And, and I think it was Siskel that did not, he did not like the movie. I think he's like, it's not realistic. It's not, you know, it's not my bag. I just thought it was a little cliche. And I think Ebert was saying like, it's not about, it's not trying to be realistic. It's just trying to tell a love story and like this apocalyptic scenario. Um, So I'm not saying it doesn't work. I just think listening to that original, uh, what the original idea was of just like a a drifter that has to make amends in one hour, uh, that might be a, I felt like that would have been probably a little bit more compelling for me because, you know, I'm not like a big love story guy, but I, I thought the the acting of our two leads got me through, especially Anthony Edwards. He's phenomenal in this role. And and I don't even and just listening, like if Nick Cage was in this role, I don't know if it would have worked necessarily. I think Nick Cage is too. um eccentric and especially if he was going to play this like he was in like Peggy Sue got married. I don't know if that would have worked at all in the in with how this script was. Not to say Nicolas Cage isn't talented. Just don't know if I think that would have been too much for the role. Um, but yeah, the and then you know when we get to the finale, which we'll get into too, like an amazing set piece, and that's when you know like shit hits the fan, and it's almost like when all that happens, I just feel like you're like, oh wow, like everything's confirmed like this is real and I just feel like when I was watching it for the first time I was just like in total silence like what's going to happen what's going to happen are they going to get out are they not going to get out and uh and and when we're left with the amazing conclusion of that final monologue of like we're going to be you know they're going to find us we're going to be together we're going to be fossils together or we're going to be diamonds together. We might we might be lucky enough that it's a direct hit, and just this like idea that they're going to be, uh, you know, immortalized as diamonds. You know, trying to. I, I really think there's like some poetic beauty in those words, in just pure bleakness. Um, and you know, we we end with the with the explosion of white light, um, implying that there's a they are like a direct hit in the tarp tar pits quote unquote and i just remember with that 
flashed flashed the bright or flashed the white um and then the credits roll i'm like wow that was incredibly bleak but very poignant and very gripping and i guess that's my you know cliff notes version of the review of just being totally immersed in the film and thinking and just loving like the whole like everything comes full circle in the film and uh there was some poetic uh poetic uh what's the word uh i don't want to say beauty but also sadness in 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 this and it's so bleak and definitely comes from uh someone that i could tell lived in like the 50s and 60s like it extends far beyond like the 80s paranoia of like, you know, I, I felt like the paranoia of the 80s and you I mean, you could speak to this a little way better than me. You know, I was born in the mid 90s, um, but I felt just from watching the films of the 80s, you know, and of the times, I feel like it was more of a, you know, I think of Red Dawn. It was more like the Soviets are going to invade. Uh, maybe nuke us, but, you know, it's going to be, they're going to paratroop in and like put us all in internment camps. Um, whereas, you know, the fifties and sixties, you know, we're doing air, we're doing, you know, nuclear drills where get under your wooden desk and just pray <laughs> that you don't get swept away in the mushroom cloud as uh, in, in the nuclear fallout. So uh, long winded way of saying I was totally immersed in the film Um was kind of iffy on the love story, but towards the end, it won me back. I think with when you see the whole picture, it uh, it works in that. And you can you can see, you know, with the way the movie ends, because there is a couple misdirects in this film in the sense of, you know, they they find a helicopter pilot. You know, he wants X amount of dollars to, to you know, fly the helicopter, whatever. And, you know, the bombs are dropping and he's coming in. And you think he, they're going to get away there. I mean, you, you like, he's like, I told you I'd come back for you guys. And then that absolutely does not happen. You can see where the studio would have changed it because this is still the eighties, Mike, this is, we're going to have a happy ending. You're going to have to have a happy ending. If you want, you know, a, a $10 million budget to make this film. Like I, you can see where, where I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that Steve held on to this and, and insisted on making his version of the film. I am a little uh, higher on the love story aspect because it just, it, it speaks to his pure motivation because if, now, first of all, had he not met Julie, had Harry not met Julie, uh, he wouldn't have been at the coffee shop. He wouldn't have answered the phone. But they spent that entire day together and they had a magical day. And I love the scene where they go to the restaurant and they buy the lobsters and just throw them back into the ocean. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that. But let's just say hypothetically there, it's not the love story. Okay. And he, for some, whatever, for some reason, you know, he's at the coffee shop and he catches the phone call. Maybe, maybe like you said, maybe it's the older drifter type guy um, in the original story. Um, the moment that Denise Crosby's character, she's the uh, the business lady who's got the you know the the briefcase and you know the computer and all that stuff. And the moment she's like, okay, no, we're uh, we're at force ready ready status or whatever, and we have to get to Antarctica and we've got to go now. Movie's over because he's going to go with them and he is going to Antarctica, which is the only place that would that's going to be inhabitable. So I'm high on the love story because it's his entire motivation for the movie because otherwise. He's just going with, you know, he's just going with the guy. He's going with the that group from the diner, which, by the way, can we just say uh, love the the 
all the characters in the diner. There's some Terminator nods there. There's uh, obviously some nods to Star Trek. It's just there's some really interesting. He had some really interesting character actors in his movie. Like I see Earl Bowen in there. He was Dr. Silverman from the two term or excuse me, the three Terminator films. Yeah. Um, and I love that. But yeah, we have to have we have to have the love story for for uh, him to have his motivation for, for for the movie. That's that's why I'm I'm a little higher on it. Yeah, and like I like I said, I think it it fits the film more. Um, and I think the two leads, you know, they they make it work really really well. And like I love their chemistry together. Um, like I, I love the moment when you know he he um Harry goes to Julie's apartment and you know she's taking a Valium, and I love that little moment when he puts her into the shopping cart and is pushing her to the mutual benefit building where the helicopter is, and she just wakes up and says, "Oh hey Harry," like still kind of like zonked from the Valium and she's like oh yeah like hey like this is why am I in a shopping cart hey like can I get up? my my legs fall asleep and just like the little details like yeah wake up wake up and they're just running it's like oh what are we what are we doing and she's just theorizing like oh you're gonna we're gonna go on this hot air balloon date champagne dinner through or uh, breakfast through uh, LA watching the sunrise like yeah 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 that's what we're gonna do like let's come on let's keep coming and he's like disheveled he's, you know his face is cut up and he's like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. let's just uh, let's just keep this going but like I don't want you to know until you have to know but the diner scene yeah again i think one of the like the best set pieces acting pieces uh because it's so simple and and it it reminds it it almost like i feel like you can write like a play around the diner yes and like just like even just like the the like the different conversations that are happening on different sides of the room you know like the um the street sweepers they like they're telling like a dirty joke in the corner they're cat calling um you know the 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 businesswoman the, the government businesswoman in the corner like the you know the um the drag queen and the doctor they're 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 having their conversation oh the flight attendants in the background like practicing uh and even just like the little like idiosyncratic like details like oh do you like even like when the phone call comes it's like hey you're wearing a stewardess uniform do you're do you know any pilots like uh actually it's my sisters and it's like, it's like a random like oh you know does anyone have a have a son named chet oh, i have an uncle named chad and you're like oh, it's just it just it just feels like that you could write a post-apocalyptic play extending the interactions between these people in this diner. Um, and I feel like it really, like, again, this comes from that that time period of like 50s, 60s uh, of the, I feel like this really show, showcases that initial paranoia of like some people buy in immediately. Some people are like, this is bullshit. And some people are like kind of in between, like you need to convince me, but, I'm ultimately going to believe this. And, and I think even, you know, like the cars that I've seen that like the main, I guess, focus characters drive, you know, Harry is driving like an Oldsmobile, uh, same with uh, Julie's parents, which I mean, they're, you know, a little bit older side. So that makes a little bit more sense. But it's, it's interesting that the vehicles that are showcased in the movie, for the most part, outside of like, you know, the, the police vehicles, they're all like Oldsmobiles. And and I think I even saw a few, I mean, older cars because they just wrecked these cars so they needed cars for cheap i don't know if that was intentional or not or not throwback to like the 50s and 60s where like you know the nuclear paranoia was like the highest there um but i absolutely love like i mentioned earlier at this point like during these emotional monologues this is when we start seeing 
slowly the camera zooms of just you know we're just really especially on anthony edwards just this slow zoom in um which happens first in the phone uh, in the uh, phone booth and then in the diner when he's just having this like they're like tell me exactly what you heard and he's show and he's just going play by play what he heard and the camera's just slowly zooming in and you really are thrust into that panic mode and and even that moment when he's like oh i want the gyro and eggs and he's just and he takes the whole pot of coffee pours the entire creamer (laughs) in and just is like sipping it and he's just like oh my god like what do i do and he just vents to the entire whoever's listening and then that's when you know i love immediately how everyone just starts panicking and they just go with the plan and then they leave the diner get in the um the truck to get to the airport and i love like the little details like hey you two i need you to make a list of all the great minds you can think of and and it's like these two blue collar workers that it's like hey you know we should have you know like the joyce twins and they're like they're fucking idiots why would we want them to come (laughs) and like and she's on the phone with you know carl sagan like explaining that the nuclear apocalypse is happening um and um and I, and I just, I, I love those little detailed moments. Again, it could be a play, just like those little details that are just like, hey, like, give me Carl Sagan, uh, one of the, <laughs> the great minds of the, of the 80s. Like, hey, we need you. We need great minds. We need scientists, doctors, um, <laughs> like political leaders, anyone, you two, you know, in five minutes, blue collar workers, I need you to a list of all the great minds you can think of. Um, and even like the home, the crazy, like schizophrenic homeless guy gets in the, in the, in the truck yeah. too. And it's just like these, this is who's going to save the world. And I guess like in that last, those final moments of one hour, it's like, take what you got. And, um, and again, the film just like throws you into the mo- into the moment. And there's not a lot of explanation that, and you don't need it. If anything, we don't need, we don't want the explanation. If, if they suddenly had that, you know, that episode when the conspiracy theorist comes out, it's like, I knew this was going to happen. You know, the tensions are rising. Like we don't need that political conversation in this movie. We just need, we got one hour. And like I said, the time the movie is like kind of operates in, like real time uh we're watching like you know we have one hour pretty much from that phone call and it's like kind of skipping around but we're not missing a beat of what's happening other than like travel times but we still even then we still kind of stay in like a radius of the diner of the mutual life benefit whatever the tall like hello uh, helicopter pad building so i absolutely love just how the film throws you into it and you're just like strapped in and you're like okay what's happening the process so much that it's just such an engaging experience there's a couple things you said that i really agree with number one um the the fact that it's genuinely never explained why america is shooting first and by the way that was another thing steve talked about you know in the studio, when they were studio wanted, they wanted it to be that Russia fired on America first. And, you know, in this one, it's like we shoot our wad off in 70 minutes or 50 minutes. We're going to get it back, which which in the movie basically implies that America had the first strike. You know, mm-hmm. they they did the first strike. And that was a that was a big no, no for the studio. Like, oh, we can't do that. Um and you mentioned Red Dawn, for example. You know, there's the scene with Powers Booth, who is the uh, the pilot who gets shot down, and he's he's with the Wolverines, and he's basically explaining to you know the group, Patrick Swayze and Charlie Sheen and the gang, you know what's going on, and and it's explained that they used tactical nukes in you know different parts of the country, and then 
one of them says, I think Steve Thomas Howell says, why? Why did this thing start? Why did this war start? And Powers Booth says something to the effect of, well, two toughest kids on the block, eventually they're going to fight. You know, it's as simple as that. And the fact that in Miracle Mile, this is never explained what happened. You know, it, it's you're you, it, it's you're living through the moment. You're basically living vicariously through through Harry. And it was and not not to jump all over the place. But, you know, the thing that like if you look at 2005's War of the Worlds with Tom Cruise, you know, there was two ways Steven Spielberg could have told that story. He could have told it Roland, Roland Emmerich style and showed the entire world just being destroyed by the tripods. Or we could just experience it through the eyes of Tom Cruise and his kids. And that's kind of the way I look at Miracle Miles. It's, it's basically, you know, living vicariously through, through Harry and Julie. Um, the other thing that I really appreciate about the diner scene is, and this goes back to something you said also, you know, in the 50s and 60s, when they used to have those PSAs, those uh, public service announcements where it's like, you know, stop and get under your desk. And, you know, and, uh, that was all bullshit because, you know, like like Denise Crosby's character explains in Miracle Mile, like you need to get out of the country. You need to get the, the South, South, South Pole because you're not going to survive this. And that was kind of like a misleading thing in the 50s and 60s is that. Oh yeah, we're you know we're going to build the interstate highway system so people can you know get out of the cities quicker you know and I'm not trying to get involved in conspiracy theories or anything but that's why the interstate system was built so you could move masses of people out of the cities quickly but the reality was that was all a facade because if an all-out nuclear war happens between uh, you know the two countries we're not talking about one nuclear weapon we're talking about hundreds of nuclear weapons that have multiple warheads and there won't be anything but cockroaches living in America. So I appreciated the fact that, you know, Steve really gives you a sense of how dire this is because you will not survive this. And, uh, you know, the fact that she, you know, says we have to get to Antarctica, I think is something that's not really explored a lot enough in movies. Like this is total annihilation. And I really appreciated that about the film. Yeah. Even them saying like, we have to go someplace where it doesn't rain. You know, we yeah. have to go to the desert. We have to go to the Antarctica. Um, and like, and, and, and I love that too, because they don't say like, well, why don't we have to go where it rains? You know, like they don't say that. They just say we have to get somewhere that's not here. And uh, yeah, I love those moments. And, you know, the next like few moments, you know, we have uh, Harry jumps out of the back of the, of the truck, which is, which is great. Cause it's like, Hey, you told me we we're going to get Julie. I lied. And he puts the gun to his I head <laughs> and he says, he's like, yeah, it sucks, man. Like I love her too, but I got to get the hell out of here. And he says, you know what? You can jump out the back when I go, when I slow down for this turn. And uh, you know, we, we um, meet up with, uh, <laughs> with Wilson, this, uh, this, uh, this guy who's been stealing uh, car radios, radios, <laughs> hawking them out of the back. Plays uh, Bubba and Forrest Gump, which yep. is interesting. I'm like, wait a minute, I know that guy. Um, and we get to like the cabby police station, uh, the cabby state gas station, which you know another. I forget which I forget the actor's name, but he's in. Uh, I think he's uh, one of the the robbers who gets killed in a Reservoir he's, Dogs. He's Mr. Blue. He's Blue, Eddie that's Bunker. it. I was like, Eddie it's Bunker. not Mr. Brown because that was Tarantino, who's Mr. Shit. Yeah. Um, but uh, and and I love, you know, when the cops show up and it's just and it's just like, again, more chaos. The cops get lit on fire, oh, you know, brutal. And like the, the gas station explodes. And it's at this point that I'm getting a lot of uh, now. So I'm going to say Day of the Dead, which came out, I guess, 
84. When did Miracle Mile was 81. So, so Miracle Mile, Miracle Mile was, was 88, 88. Oh, 88. Uh, oh, never mind. I thought it was and, 81. Uh, yes. Yeah, so Day, Day of the Dead Day was, of the 85. was 85. Yeah. So I was getting a lot of, at this point, Day of the Dead vibes just from, I mean, both the filmmaking perspective, but also just like the pure, like nihilist perspective of just like, people are just going to die in the chaos here. Um, and I just thought it was so like, I think maybe it's the brutality that reminded me of it because, you know, Wilson wants to get away from the cops because, you know, he's stuck in this, like, he's not really aware. He hasn't bought into that, like a nuclear apocalypse or something big is happening. So he douses the cops in gas and they're, you know, they discharge their firearms and they get lit on fire. And then the gas tank, get the, like the, uh, it ca- the fire catches the rest of the gas that goes to the pump and then it explodes. And I just was thinking, like, I, for some reason, I was just getting flashbacks of, like, the zombies at the end of Day of the Dead just flooding the military compound of just, like, but it's like, oh, now this is, you know, the beginning of that. You know, this is the... Um, in that mine shaft when they start getting in through the mine shaft when the gate gets open. It's like a slow trickle of zombies in. We're not quite when uh, the helipad lets in like the horde. We're not quite there yet, but I'm like, okay, this is, you know, the nihilist, like people, innocent people will die for, you know, senseless reasons. Like this is starting that. It's getting you prepped for that. Um, Well, there's that great line with with Eddie Bunker going back to him where he's, you know, he's got the sawed off shotgun and he's all he's badass and you know, get on the ground. And then as soon as the police show up, he's like, oh, my God, do you know what's going to happen to me if they find me with this weapon? Like he goes from this really like badass. I'm, I'm you guys are I've, I've got you. All right. So all of a sudden, officer, I'm sorry. He's like trying to hide the weapon. I just thought that was an, a nice little touch because Eddie Bunker famously was a criminal before he got into acting. And that was one of the reasons why Tarantino cast him as as Mr. Blue in uh and uh, I love in Reservoir Dogs, I don't want you to go off topic, but when they're having the discussion about Madonna and you have Eddie Bunker, he's like, I'm not really into her. her I like her older stuff. You know, the, once you get into this true blue stuff, I, I tuned out. It's just so brilliant. And, and Eddie Bunker, he, he was great. He was a great actor. Yeah, I was surprised that he wasn't utilized more because, like, yeah, there's that dichotomy of, like, this badass, gruff, you know, comes out with a shotgun, like, hey, boy, what you doing? And then the cops show up and he's like, oh, oh yeah, like you said, officer, like, I don't want to go to jail. You know, oh, he's the, he's got all this stolen shit in his trunk. Like, it's hit pointing fingers and he just, you know, drops out. I mean, he probably got <laughs> shot up in there in the explosion, got caught up there. But, um, yeah, it's, it's again, these very unique characters that just make appearances and then they're like out of the movie um very i mean i've i've never been to la but i can only imagine that this is what la is filled with characters like this can i can i say because you and i haven't talked in a while that um i went to los angeles for the first time in uh, interestingly enough i was there the last week of february into the first week of march of 2020 mm-hmm. uh, i was in la uh, a couple weeks before the world completely changed and everything was still like, it was a hundred percent, you know, good to go. But where I was staying, I was staying at a home in, 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 uh, in the West Hollywood up in the Hills and my view from my window, if I looked slightly left, there was the buildings from Miracle Mile. Like that oh. was them. It was so cool. If I looked slightly right, there was Nakatomi Plaza. From Die Hard, like and that was my view every morning, and and I remember calling my girlfriend. I'm like, okay, if I look left, it's Miracle Mile. If I look right, it is Die Hard. Coincidence? 
both movies came out the same year. I like I just got into my head about that. <laughs> but um, but where I was staying in L.A., it was I was recognizing the landmarks from the movie because I was right in that area. I was looking for the diner. I couldn't find it, but uh, mm-hmm. it was cool. It is. It's not the I forget the name of the diner, like the famous diner that like every like every Hollywood studio rents out for like diners, like the Big Lebowski, American History X. Right. Um, it's not that I don't think it was that, although I don't I'm, again, I've never been to L.A., so I don't know if like all the diners just look like that. But um, it did. It, it reminded me of that, of, of the diner where, you know. <laughs> the big Lebowski where they're talking about the toe and in American history X, where they get their final coffee before, you know, they go to the school and Danny gets shot. Um, Spoiler they, alert. Oh, yeah. The movie's a little, <laughs> the movie is, you know, like 25 years old. Uh, if, if you're, if you're, if you're upset that I just uh, spoiled an excellent movie. So by I'm, the way, by the way, not to go to, not to go off topic, but there's a, if there's ever a movie that's due for a conversation, it's that one. Because when you look at the history between that film of that film, the director of that yeah. movie completely disavows the film and, Ed, and yeah, Ed, and Ed Norton and, and yeah, it's Ed, Ed Norton intense. basically cut the film together himself and, and he should be applauded because it's an excellent film, but it's, there's so much strife between, you know, the director and the star of the movie. I think it would make for a really interesting conversation. Yeah. Well, I'm always down. I love American history X. I think there's a lot of, that'd be a more politically charged conversation, yeah. but uh, that's for a conversation for another day, but yeah. back to miracle mile, um, a, a movie that we should be talking about, put like the political backdrop, but the movie doesn't want to talk about it. So we're not either. Yeah. So this uh, transitions into Harry finally gets to um, Julie's building and we and we're and we're kind of, and we we're shown like a general location in the beginning, um, which, I again, I love that um, in that, you know, it's the, the these people, they you know, they he pretty much says like he pretty much insinuates that he like falls in love with her, like love at first sight which is fine but and like julie's really into this guy but it's funny when they go back to the apartment complex and he's like oh where do you like uh, talking to um her father and he's like oh i live over here and it's like oh where do you live julie's like oh nearby i i just love that detail of like i like you but i'm not gonna tell you where i live yet <laughs> and he asked you know he had to you know kind of coax out just through the apocalypse about to happen uh from her coworker, like oh where does she live what's her name like where like where exactly does she live and it's funny I, I always chuckle when he goes up into he finds her apartment and he knocks on the door and he just busts down the door and then her mom comes with like a Winchester and just points it in her in his face and it's like oh Harry what are you doing here um, and uh, and it's all and it's almost like a sweet moment when they go downstairs and uh, her father comes out and the parents have this like rekindling this rekindling moment which is interesting because in the beginning it's like they haven't talked in like what 15 years or something over some argument like so much so that there's i got the impression that they were still married they just did not live to live with each other or talk to each other was that correct in that assessment that they were still married they just didn't talk or they're just their relationship was over yeah, i'm not sure i mean i mean i'm not sure I, I i think it could be interpreted either way so yeah i guess we could just go with uh you know that one theory yeah I, it, and i think it just it makes it more sweet in that you know, it makes everyone like in the event of total annihilation, it makes everyone's problems so insignificant. And I think even like, you know, these this older couple, they kind of realize that. And it, and it almost was like that was their final. It's almost tragic in that you when they embrace, you could tell that they like miss each other and they love each other. And it took them the nuclear apocalypse to finally like yeah. 
come together and just be like, okay, this really wasn't that important. Um, but I love that moment when they say to Julie, like, oh, like, we're not going to go with you, but we're going to go to our favorite restaurant and get the biggest, fattest, juicy burgers and just enjoy our time what we have left. It's almost like, I mean, they just have total acceptance of what's going to happen. And I love that moment when, you know, she's putting in the drive and they're just like start bickering like an old couple. It's like, yeah. God damn it, I told you I'd do that. And then they just start laughing. Um, it's almost like, you know, the relationship that I have with, you know, Brian, my twin brother, and that it's just like, we're always like that. Just like we're bickering, but it's never it's there's no animosity between us it's always just like ah it's like i love you like you're an asshole but you're my asshole um <laughs> and so uh and yeah and like you know we have those like those sweet moments with with julie when she's like kind of coming out of that volume haze and is like we mentioned earlier in that she's like oh hey hey harry what's going on hey yo can i sleep can i walk my leg falls is falling asleep oh what are we doing we're in this hot air balloon ride and she's just as like totally oblivious of what's happening and uh and i think it's interesting like when they show up to the helicopter port uh and like the gun runners like come in at the end which and again like another characters that we know nothing about we just say like did you get the hollow points no i thought you were gonna get the hollow points oh you brought condoms why do we need these and they just have like uzis like running up this building um and um and then that's when we kind of get the the moment of questioning starting to get like the seeds of doubt um you know when uh they're talking again i i forget the actor's name but i just know him as the uh <laughs> the asshole from ghostbusters 2 that puts the ghostbusters in the uh in the or no from for ghostbusters 1 um when no, he puts no, him no, into it, boy, was it two i, I confused yeah, them yeah kurt fuller yeah kurt when, fuller, when so. he's you know he's like kind of the the guy that is orchestrating getting them off of this you know getting all of the the cl uh like the the clothes the ammo the uh the munitions the mres everything just getting to the airport on time and you know he's like this is a total load of horseshit i don't believe any of this is happening like i just want to be in bed which is interesting when we see him later on yeah um but uh i just love that moment where it's like well who told landa well you told like i'm the guy that got the phone call oh so it's like all hinged on you you're the only guy that knows like what's happening or had the information that leads us to here and that's when we start getting those seeds of doubt of like is this really happening um like is it just some crazy guy are you sure this is what happens and um and you know we kind of get more mo like that those moments of um they have to find the pilot going in the the 80s tastic gym and uh <laughs> that was another like moment of comedy for me in that you know he's like hey he's just going up to random people like because they're the only ones that are up at four or five o'clock in the morning like hey do you know a pilot do you know a pilot and he walks into the aerobic studio and pulls out a gun and just shoots the the uh the stereo says hey is there a pilot here I, it's it's for an organ transplant like anyone and everyone's just looking at him like he's an absolutely crazy person i mean i mean in the without the context yeah he looks like an absolute he's a dude wielding a gun which man can't <laughs> can't do that today um no. or even film that today um and then yeah we get our uh, our pilot who is just this you know this big meathead you know he's a, i guess he was like a i took him as like a vietnam pilot you know and he's like yep uh, i got gotcha. you just on a moment's notice i gotcha you got like five grand i'll do it for five grand which is so funny because you know money is meaningless in this world in like 10 minutes um and uh and we you know we get to the air we get up to the hello uh, helicopter pad or we set you know julie kind of figures out like oh this is 
like the end of the world. And she starts running, trying to find a pilot. We get back on the ground and uh, Wilson comes back, uh, gets his sister, but he's being chased uh, by the police because he, you know, gets out on the radio that he killed a cop and they're after him. And it's just like this tragic moment of uh, really, I think the seeds of doubt are the strongest here because it's like now, like how many people have died needlessly, you know, at least two cop, I guess maybe, um, you know, the gas station attendants so three people, you know, Wilson and his sister and, uh, and of just like, is this really happening? And I love that moment when um, Harry is being questioned by Julie and he just is like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if this is real. And he just grabs the light bulb and just smashes it in his hand, like extinguishing the light. And um, I'm just like total doubt of what's happening. But then we get the biggest turn of the movie when the the tension goes like we're cook we're we're starting to cook with gas here now like we're we're like sim we're on like simmering here yeah the heat is about to be turned up to high and like everything's about to be boiling over um i just and love we, when they we just talk about that 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 crane shot of of you know the the big reveal of all the cars like like and this is all practical like you know all the cars stopped everyone's just running around like that that entire scene uh i think should be applauded because he was working with a pretty small budget and, and to be able to pull off you know which was a very chaotic looked like a very chaotic scene in the movie and it must have been incredibly chaotic to to film that scene just to yeah and i even love like the build-up where it's just like they walk outside and like oh like we're here we're unarmed civilians like we're here just please don't shoot and they and like the camera just turns around when harry comes out and all the police are gone like there's one officer that you see the swat van like just taking off in the other direction they're like wait what's going on like why are the why are the police leaving it's oh it's not rush hour like people aren't trying to get the work and then you know they're like it's just so, it's like a slow trickle it's uh the dam broke and we just have that small little stream before the entire tsunami of water just comes you know there's people running around you know there's a few cars like just zooming through the empty roads and um you know you know people just start like freaking out and i love the moment when you know it it dawns on harry of like this is happening and he tells um he he grabs julie and is like you know I need you to get to that heli the helipad like right now. I need you to take this gun. And I just love like there's, su there's such tenderness and uh, protection in him where like she's like, I don't want the gun. He's like, no, 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 it's empty. It's empty. Like just point it at someone like like you can do this. It's OK. And I and I love like the moment when like some random guy comes up and grabs her and he's like, get the fuck away from her. It's just like this pure anger of just like and fear. And he just says, just take this get to the helicopter pad and I, and I, I have to figure this out. I got, I have to find the pilot. I have to do. And, and I love the moment when he just smashes the, uh, the, um, the, the, uh, the, I guess the, 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 the TV screens. And so they can hear everything. And it's just like pure hysteria is erupting. And, and then that's when you, you know, we get that famous crane shot where he climbs on the truck and it's just, you know, cars are exploding people are just getting trampled and like it's an amazing set piece because it's like you could tell they just blocked off a block and it's like okay like let's do some creative filmmaking here like let's not sh let's not pan too far to the right because you'll see la i mean shit i mean i've never been to la but i've seen the cliche of like this is like you know rush hour on the like expressway in la but it's just less explosions in, in real life but 
it's just it's such an amazing set piece. He jumps down, you know, the guy thought it was interesting. Like he jumps in the guy's car and he pulls a gun and like chases after Harry to kill him. And it's like amidst all of this, it's just pure chaos, anger, um, like fear of just like spewing out from everyone. And this is when I really feel like I was making that day of, day of the dead analogy, like, you know, in, in the film, when, um, when they lower the, the zombies into the pit where it's like the horde, the horde is now down and it's just pure chaos and terror is just like irradiating from the scene. And I'm finding myself watching, especially the first time, just like in total awe in silence of like, Oh, like this is what's happening. And I think I was reading something that, uh, maybe it was a little it was like a review on Reddit or analysis on Reddit. And they were saying like, Oh, I love this moment because even now they got the impression that like all of this was started because Harry, um, like was spreading it and like it just you know a little like a little uh little flame has ignited uh all the tension of this area and it was like it got to the news and people were freaking out because this this redditor was saying that you don't actually know until you see the streaks across the sky of the missiles flying but i to me i, I guess maybe i never was doubting that this wasn't going to happen but here i'm like this is when everything is just like going off the rails like the film is so quiet and intimate up to up to this point and then it's just like nope it, we're we're cranking all the like the sound mixing is spectacular here we're, we're just cranking the the terror up to 11 here and and i'm like so into this se sequence here absolutely and and you know just the part that i'll i mean you know we get to the part where they get to the top of uh, the helipad you know and this is where you see Kurt Fuller, who has decided to uh, proverbially check, proverbially check out, and he admits to taking every drug under the sun. And he's just he's just cooked his brain, um, but he even has the wherewithal to to recognize what's going on. And uh, it's a great line where he's like, "He's going all the way to Tia fucking wanna," <laughs> you know. Like I just, um, I remember the first time seeing that and just feeling overwhelmed with anxiety because it was like, all right, this is really happening. And that is absolutely terrifying because Mike, we live in a world where that's actually possible. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not Independence Day. It's not, you know, the Terminator, you know, with, you know, futuristic robots going back. It's like, no, 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 this is definitely could really happen. And that's uh, even to, I've seen the movie probably realistically 20 times in its entirety. And I, I would love to say that that after um, I recorded that episode with Steve, he was so kind to send me a uh, uh, a box in the mail that had autographed copies of uh, the Blu-ray releases of Miracle Mile and Cherry 2000, which That's I awesome. thought was. And a couple of posters signed and everything. So he he is he he was just great. But uh, watching the movie in Blu-ray, you know, just the other day in preparation for for this conversation, uh, I still get super anxiety on on those last couple scenes. And and you know, the helicopter going down into the Labrea's Har pits is just just brutal. You think they're gonna get away? You think they're gonna make it? Because it's the eighties, yeah. and that's how eighties movies ended with a happy ending. Yeah, or like even just like like a like a hopeful note and again of like like it almost reminded me of like because i initially thought when i first saw this movie it was going to end like kind of like how dawn of the dead ends where they get in the helicopter and you're like there's not a lot of hope 
but there's a glimmer that they might get away. And I thought that's where the movie was going to end. But then, you know, the the EMP of like from all the blasts come and just like knock them into the tar pits. And, and again, this is where I think one of probably my favorite sequence, I guess, just of the script and narratively, because it brings everything full circle. Like this is the sequence that brings like the like the final piece of the puzzle that you need to bring the all the themes back together and I just like you know the theme is or maybe not so much the theme but I just love how Harry is the hero of his own story in that you know everything we set up in the beginning like we said brush your teeth you might be ending up like this like he's joking but oh the irony is yeah he and kind of ends up like this you know he and he even says this you know one day like maybe we'll be fossilized in here and they'll find us and we'll be together as fossils or, you know, maybe we'll be in a direct hit and we'll just be uh, vaporized into diamonds. And, you know, talking about, he's like, Superman can take a lump of coal and crush it into a diamond. Like that'll happen to us. And there's almost something in like that, that death, like in that eminent death, like, because Julie is freaking out in that. She's like, I don't want to die like this. This is not how I want to die. Um, and uh, and almost in that like that hysterical moment, and Harry knows like this is it, like we're done. And he and in those final moments, he chooses to try and console Julie. And he he is the hero of his own story. He goes from this drifter who doesn't have much purpose in life to this is what he was destined for. And and I love that the the final images of just you know the camera slowly sinking beneath the the quote unquote tar, and. And, you know, we end with, um, you know, Julie saying like, oh, like diamonds, like, oh, yes, diamonds. And and then it pans down to black. And then we just get the explosion of white, bright, uh, white light, implying that they were actually a direct hit. And and then the credits just roll. <laughs> and you're like, that's our movie. You know, that was bleak as hell. Um, not quite as bleak as like a Lars von Trier film, but pretty <laughs> depressing. Like this isn't like Melancholia or something, but it's almost it's, there. It's, uh, half I, the, it's half the runtime of Melancholia. <laughs> yeah, like it, it's it's not it's a little bit. It's, so this is almost a little bit more hopeful because of, you know, Harry, you know, having that, you know, calming sensation of you know kind of like self-actualizing his death of like no we're going it, it there's more than this like we will be together as fossils or diamonds like and we're he's trying to find like some sort of beauty in death which is interesting because i don't think the character of harry in the beginning of the film he would not have found the beauty in death he wouldn't have found some sort of like tranquil peace in it like uh, using the language of diamonds or you know we'll be together as fossils like you know we'll be like remnants of an old life that people will look at and study and hopefully learn from our mistakes it's a very interesting note to end the film on you know it's bleak as it is but it could have been just like totally bleak like julie could have died in the car or in the um in the helicopter crash and it could have just been him alone her like caressing her body in the tar pits like he began the film alone and he ended the film alone but no like steve chose to keep the love story as a tragedy but not in the sense of like total tragedy like totally like i don't want to kill myself depressing so i really appreciate um how this movie ends and i feel like that's the final piece that makes that that brings everything together for miracle mile and, and it's the ultimate love story because mayor winningham and anthony edwards are married in real life 
Mm. And they met on the they met on the the set of this film, and then years later they rekindled their friendship, and it turned into a marriage, and they're still married to this day. So it's that you know this movie did have the uh, the forever love story attached to it, which I think is amazing. Yeah, and I guess we can get into like final thoughts and recommendations. Um, I guess I'll, I'll go first. So I am super glad that. I was able to get this recommendation off of uh, your show, Dana. I, it's definitely a very underrated piece of cinema that I think people need to seek out and should be watching um, just from, you know, the filmmaking standpoint, um, the writing perspective of, you know, nuance versus, you know, how, how to write like idiosyncratic characters and just a very compelling story in general. Um, also, like this is like a, this is a film that I think I don't necessarily think you can make today. I don't know if like, cause I don't think like the set, like nuclear, um, the, the idea of like nuclear war, like you said, it's probably more likely to have that this story happens today than it did during the cold war. But you know, people don't want to talk like the cold war, nuclear war, that's not in vogue now, I guess. Like people don't tell those stories. Um, and and so I think people, either aspiring filmmakers should watch this movie, but I think it's, it's definitely just a compelling love story that has that, that twist with the, the nuclear apocalypse. Um, obviously, we've gotten this far, this, the movie, like we talked pretty detailed spoilers of the movie. I hope that uh, if you hadn't seen the movie that you actually you watched it first and then came back. But either way, I still think people can find the enjoyment. I think there's a lot to go back on in this film like there's there's so much replayability in this movie um so with that i'm going to give so i'm gonna do that i've been doing two reviews dana so, or um yeah two two rating systems i do out of 10 okay. and okay. then uh, i do letterbox review so for anyone that isn't aware of letterbox it's like the movie database um it's been helping me a lot and just cataloging movies um, as well as seeking out movies. So uh, I would give Miracle Mile uh, out of 10, I would give it an eight out of 10. And my letterbox review is a three and a half out of five stars. So solid recommendation, uh, definitely a very underrated movie. Um, definitely think everyone should check this out. So Dana, I'm gonna throw it over to you for closing thoughts and final recommendations. Okay, so for me, you know, and this is interesting because you know, eventually Steve did go to Orion Pictures to, to get this movie made. And uh, I have a friend, a filmmaker named Phil Giovanno, who did uh, did a movie called. Um, why am I having such a hard time remembering things? See what happens when you turn 44? You uh, you you. Uh, and I'm 26 and I feel like this yeah. happens to me all the time. So <laughs> let me let, just let me just pick that up from the if, if I can just pick it up from the top. Yeah, go for it. Okay, awesome, awesome. So, you know, the thing about this movie is there's a couple things I want to point out. Number one, that Steve did uh, this. He eventually did this through Orion Pictures. And I have a, a friend of mine. He's a filmmaker named Phil Giovanno. And he's done several movies from Three O'Clock High to The Gridiron Gang with The Rock and, and movies all in between. Um, he did a movie in 1990 for Orion Pictures called State of Grace that had Sean Penn, Gary Oldman, uh, Ed Harris, the... Uh, the list goes on and on. Great, great underrated movie. Great, uh, you know, sort of mafia style movie that got lost in what I call the Goodfellas shuffle. It was released uh, a little bit before Goodfellas and then Goodfellas just took over the world. But the State of Grace is actually a, a very, very good movie. But I, I bring this up because 
what Orion was famous for was being incredibly filmmaker friendly. Okay, meaning that the the they would tell the director, make your movie and we'll release it. All right, we're not going to hand you studio notes. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. Just make your movie as is, and, and we'll release it. Would you say and they're he, like A twenty four of the eighties? I, I would say so. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, the difference being that Orion, not not the case with um, not the case with Miracle Mile, but with the case like they did RoboCop. I mean, they did a lot. They they were like A twenty four, but they would give you a big budget to work with, and just they were incredible. And 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 Phil has told me that this is you know, in his 40 plus year career in the industry, he still says Orion was the most filmmaker friendly, uh, you know, studio that he had ever worked for. And he misses that uh, immensely. So having said that, Steve got to make the movie he wanted to make, essentially. I'm sure budgetary constraints prevented him from doing certain things he wanted to do. But essentially, as you know, he got the story he wanted to tell because it ends the way he wanted to end. The issue, I think, is that he was five years too early on making this film. I think in a post, uh, you know, a post Tarantino world, uh, a post Sundance is where we get all our great movies now world. If this movie would have been released 94, 95, um, I think it would have fared much better because the 90s, uh, which I consider to be the last great decade in cinema, hence the 20th century movie club uh, the 90s much like the 70s you could have a movie that had a bleak uh non-happy ending story and it would i think the movie would have thrived so um i think it's an amazing film i i recommend it to everybody i can every opportunity so when you reached out and said do you want to talk about this movie I said, yeah, absolutely let's do it um but i think it, it you know it's curses that it was released five, six years too early. It, he was he was certainly ahead of his time. Uh, and, you know, he got to work with Orion, which basically said, you can do whatever you want. And Orion shortly went bankrupt after after 1990. They had a couple other movies that made some money, but overall they they were they were done. And the rights to this movie languished in, you know, you know, people buying up the, the Orion on pennies on the dollar. And, you know, some people owned the rights to this movie and it, it just languished in the 90s and the 2000s and thankfully the film is like you said it's readily available to rent there is some great blu-ray companies that have put this out on a couple different i think kino put out a really good blu-ray of this and and, and uh so strong recommendation now as far as a rating system uh, i'll admit that i have a letterbox i don't think i've opened it up in two and a half three years but you've inspired me to get back on my horse and, and get that open so that's going to be a four out of five for me on the letterbox and a rating system i'm right there with you you know it's eight it's a, probably an eight out of ten for me you know i would have loved to have seen what he could have done with a budget you know four times the size because i think there there's something there and again this is a 100 practical movie so, you know, he was really limited in, in what he could do. So, you know, CGI, thank goodness, was not a thing back then um, because there's, you know, any movie that uses practical effects automatically gets a bump from me, uh, you know, without question, because what you're seeing uh, on the screen is what's actually being filmed. So, um, yeah, I mean, to me, it's a masterpiece. It's an 80s uh cult film masterpiece that i think more people need to see and, I, and it's coming around like steve is definitely 
you know, he spends a good portion of the year going to different screenings of this movie that happens up and down the West Coast. Like he's always going to different screenings and hosting them and and people are are, are getting introduced to this film every day. So uh, and if we if our conversation has turned a few people on to to seeing this movie for the first time, then our job is done. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and and I yeah, I, this is this is one of those movies that and I, and I actually have a book that I got in high school that I think it's. It's one of those like 500 essential cult classic movies. I, 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 there's some movies that are in there that are, I should really go through it again. Cause I remember reading it in high school and like, it's filled with sticky notes of just movies. I'm like, Oh, you should watch, you should watch this. And this is before the days of letterbox. And, um, and I'm be very curious to see how many sticky notes I'll, I would take away from that, but I'm pretty sure miracle mile is in that book sure. now that like we've been having that conversation and maybe I'm, I'm hoping it's not just a, a uh, made up memory that I have, but uh, my, cause you know, I moved into this place uh, like a few months ago and my books have not been unpacked yet. Uh, my girlfriend's moving at a time of this recording in like another week or so. So I'm like, ah, I'll just do it when she moves in. So that time's coming around, but I'm, I'm thinking that Miracle Mile is in that book. So it is definitely an underrated cult classic that I think it deserves. It's the, the attention that hopefully it's, it's been receiving in the last, you know, decade or so since it's uh uh you know just we know with uh vod uh blu-ray companies releasing it um and just you know word of mouth just like this you know i think this is like kind of the movie's greatest strength is people just saying you have to watch this movie here's the premise and don't look at anything else just go into it as blind as possible um which i've been do i've been trying to do as much as as possible recently just for really any movies uh or tv shows or anything just i hear something's good and that's all i need to know is just going into it blind i feel like that's the best possible way to go into something like this or, or anything that is underrated um but yeah that concludes this this episode so dana before we go um i know you're you've been really making some moves in the podcasting world the entertainment world um believe you're on radio now um like legitimate radio not just like itunes or right like that so go yeah. plug all all the content you've been creating and shows or whatever whatever you need this is your outlet sure sure so i mentioned earlier that i i went to los angeles uh the last week of february and the reason one of the reasons i was out there is i was taking a meeting um there's a uh, radio station that is their studio is on hollywood boulevard and they're called dash radio and it's a it's a global radio platform. Think something like Sirius Satellite Radio, except it's actually free for for the subscribers. Uh, it, it's not a monthly charge and they've got, you know, a hundred curated channels. Snoop Dogg has a channel. Like, like all these people have have their own channels inside that. And um, so I, I went out there to meet with a gentleman who has a radio station inside of this inside of this platform. And we met and had, it was, it was surreal, Mike. We met at the Polo Lounge of the Beverly Hills Hotel. I don't know if you've seen the show, The Offer on Paramount Plus, mm-hmm. which is the story of the Godfather. Like, like a lot of the important meetings oh, in wow. that show take place at the Polo Lounge. <laughs> and, and, and none of this was lost on me when I was in these places. <laughs> like I was just like, I can't believe it. I'm at one of those like round booths with a bunch of executives and, um, so yeah, they offered me a show on there. And then what happened was uh, the show is on hiatus right now, but I was hired to do audio production work for the station. So I started producing, uh, helping produce talk shows for for this radio station, which is interesting because 
you know, I didn't go to school for this, but, you know, through years of podcasting and, you know, audio, basically learning and being self-taught on audio production, all of a sudden it was like, uh, I, I produced a pilot episode of my show. I sent it to them. I said, this is what I'm thinking. They said, this is great. Uh, could you put us in touch with your producer? We'd like to talk to this person. And I said, well, that's, that's me. Uh, I did it. And they're like, you did all of this? You, you did all? I said, yes. Yeah. Would you be interested in producing some shows? So I get paid for it. You know, so it's, it's not just like Sweet. a side hustle. And so, um, so yeah, that, that, that started happening uh, two years ago. It was September of 2020 that I took the job with them. So that's been keeping me incredibly busy. Uh, obviously, as you know, still doing the podcast. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's been interesting. The, the, a lot of the connections that I've been making, and you know as well as I do, that you know, when you're podcasting, your podcast goes out to the world. And so you never know who's listening. And so someday you may just get an email from your favorite filmmaker or your favorite actor. And, 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 and that's happened to me a couple of times. And, and, and I don't take any of that for granted. I find it incredibly humbling. And, uh, you know, I have no plans to stop podcasting anytime soon. My only issue is I, I wish I had a little more time, but isn't that everybody's oh, yeah. issue right now? So, but, uh, yeah, it's been an interesting job. It's been an interesting ride. And, uh, someday I'll have to tell you a couple of the, uh, the LA stories because, uh, if you're a longtime listener of my show, you know that for through no fault of my own, I always find myself in really interesting situations, and uh, occasionally I like to tell those stories. So I uh, I had a few of those while I was out there. Yeah, <laughs> tease, definitely. Tease that for now, I got. I'm sure you got a lot. I mean, you got a you got a lot of stories anyway in general, and you're a great storyteller. So I'd love to hear those. And Dana, what about any like social media? Like, where can sure. people find you? Reach out to you because you yeah, are absolutely. you are very open. That's how we started this dialogue. I just yeah reached out to you on Instagram one day and you said, yeah, love it. I'm like, Oh, That's that good. was, e- that was easy. Is it always this easy? So uh, let's see, let's see. Um, a couple of them changed. So I want to make sure that I, I, I have these right. So if you want to follow me on Twitter, which I am uh, not as active as I should be, but I certainly see and read every tweet that I go on there. So um, my, my, the show's Twitter is at Dana Buckler show. My personal Twitter is at Dana Buckler. I am on Instagram uh, two times. I am at the Dana Buckler. And then, and then also, and I'm like I said, just, and then the Dana Buckler show on Instagram. And then of course, people want to email me. You can do so at the Dana Buckler show at gmail.com. So Thanks, Rand. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, fun. of course. And yeah, we'll, we'll, this isn't the last time that you'll be on. Yeah, I love, I love, like, I love bullshitting with you about movies and talking about movies. Um, yeah, this is, we've, we definitely have like a really strong, uh, close knit community of podcasters. I mean, I, I always think of you, Jay, Mike, uh, now Lindsay from Filmstrip. Um, and I'm sure there's tons of other people that, uh, I, I'm, ready to to start opening dialogue and conversation with and this is like can, the beauty of podcasting can i just say that you know when we first started recording uh this episode when you mentioned that the last time you were on was for the uh rise of skywalker that's it so that, that you that you uh that you and other mike uh did and that was in late december of 2019 and to think it was that was such such an innocent time back then, Mike. Yeah. When when the the biggest thing weighing on our mind is how Disney had destroyed Star Wars. 
and how just a couple months later it wasn't even going to be that big of a deal. Anymore. Yeah, it, <laughs> so. it's 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 almost like Miracle Mile, maybe yeah. not as extreme, but you're like, oh man, like these problems are in, insignificant as to what is about to come. So yeah. like at, during COVID, I was like, man. Eh maybe the rise i think i said the last skywalker or something yeah maybe rise of skywalker wasn't that bad of a movie especially working in hospitals during COVID. i was like mm, maybe 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 not but yeah it's a lot of uh perspective changes but yeah but we're stronger we're we're good health and i'm glad that we can have this conversation absolutely absolutely man i appreciate it thanks so much for having me mike i look forward to talking soon oh yeah of course and uh as always everyone that concludes this episode of amateur all tours you can follow us on twitter at a tours pod you can email us with any questions comments or concerns at the amateur podcast at gmail.com and uh as always guys thank you and we'll see you next time